our scriptures again from James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit here at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him? But you've dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you're called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, that is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. In this modern era that we live in, there's a subtle molding process taking place within our minds and within our souls without us even realizing that it's taking place. It's a a structuring of our thought processes that conveniently enables us to separate out those things that we call spiritual from all those other matters of our daily life. And unfortunately, many, perhaps most of us Christians have naively bought into that concept. That's church. This is business. Without realizing that we're doing it, our thoughts do just separate out each of those little things that take place during our day into spiritual. That's the things that we learn here in church and that we learn of Christ as we read the Scriptures. We separate it out from our workplace, our families, our associations with our friends. We call that real life. Reality, we call it. The reality is I have to go to work every day and be in this place where I don't like to be with people that are not nice. That's reality. But there's a problem with that kind of thinking. And it's not at all the behavior that God intends for you and me to have. God wants you and me to recognize and to accept and to treat everything that takes place, whether it be within a church setting or outside of it, as being spiritual. Everything is spiritual. In other words, God wants us to know that He really is personally and intimately involved in every circumstance and every occurrence that takes place. And the spiritual instructions that we receive from these Scriptures are not just options that we might consider in our handling of our daily matters. These words are mandates to us. Requirements. Mandates 
that instruct us to take His righteousness, that righteousness that is in Christ, that He has then also put into our hearts as we became believers, and we're to take that and to turn and apply it in every circumstance. And He does say, yes, beginning right in the church with fellow believers, but then also to the strangers that come in our doors, and then on out to every circumstance and person that we'll encounter in our daily life. But now, there's a caution here. We are never to allow the opposite to take place. We are never to bring those secular beliefs, those secular teachings, what God here calls the natural man, we're never to bring those back into the church because all things truly are spiritual. And when we allow secular beliefs and the teachings of natural man to come into the church practices, they will surely corrupt everything that they touch. Listen to these words. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is what God tells us about spiritual things and natural things. 1 Corinthians 2, beginning in verse 12. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. But the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now as we read these words, and then the words of the text that we just read in James 2. And if we truly are, as James addresses us here, brethren, those fellow believers in Christ, then we'll take what we are learning here today, and we'll do as Second Timothy 3 tells us, and that is we will be taught by what we're learning. We'll be rebuked, we'll be corrected, and we'll be trained in the ways of righteousness by these words. Again, I want us to understand that everything, everything that takes place in our daily lives and in all those knee-jerk responses that we have to all of those things, they are spiritual in context. And you and I ought to be prepared and never caught off guard as we're confronted without notice with one of those circumstances such as the one I spoke to you about a moment ago. But especially like one that's spoken of here in James chapter 2. And the question is then, are you, am I prepared for that next circumstance or will we be caught off guard? Are you prepared for that next Encounter, or will you be caught off guard? I want to face us with that so that we can know that we have a responsibility. Now, when we read these words here in James chapter 2, we think, no, I, I would not respond that way. I'd not think less of that poor guy, the shabby one, than I do of that regular guy or that wealthy guy. Now we can see that kind of attitude in other people, but we are so naturally defensive of ourselves 
that we think, oh no, I don't do that. But let me assure you, the Lord gave us this instruction because you and I do that. We treat one person better than another solely based upon often just a moment's opinion. We look at them and we can decide without knowing them what their status in life is. We look at them and we say, or we think less of them because of their color or because of their nationality. How do I know that? Well, some of you will recall recently when a man and his children came into this church. Came in during Sunday school class time. And I don't know what went on in the minds of the others who were present, but I do know what went on in my own mind. First, I had a touch of irritation because the Sunday school class was being interrupted. This man came in with his, with two children and he didn't just sit down and want to attend the Sunday school class and I could tell that. So there was a moment of irritation. But I quickly did realize that that was a wrong kind of response going on in my heart. And so I went on to the next thing which was even worse. Even worse than the first. I looked at the man and his children and I sized him up vaguely remembered that he had been in our church on another occasion, a similar one, asking for financial help. And then by his clothing and his scruffy appearance and demeanor, my thoughts went to this man is a panhandler looking for a handout. Now, did you notice in the words that I just said that there was no compassion There was no kindness, no love within my assessment of this man and his children. No godly spiritual thoughts. Only the thoughts that a natural man, a secular evaluation of a stranger. Now, my impression of the man might have been accurate, but not what God wants me to think of the man. Now, thankfully, I did quickly address the man to determine his reason for coming in because again, it was obvious he wasn't here to attend our Sunday school class. But thinking back on my response to him, it was not at all welcoming. Come in. Come in. Join us. I simply went to him and quickly took care of business. Determined who he was and what his purpose for being here was. Now thankfully, the whole matter didn't turn out quite as badly as it may sound that I'm presenting to you because the Holy Spirit was able to wedge His way into my mind and bring out some form of a Christian response over the next few minutes. In talking with Him, I gave a response that was reasonably good, but not the best one. The kind I thought of later that I really wish I'd have given I eventually went outside with the man and I saw in his truck that he had other family members, wife and a baby and two other small children. And I'd already determined that he did not want to unload them and bring them in and go to church. So I concluded that it probably was best for me just to help him in the way that he was seeking and then let him go on his way. Thankfully, 
I did give this man some words of the gospel while I was standing there at his truck with him. And we prayed. And I gave him the money he was looking for and he went on his way. But again, as I read these words here in James 2, I was probably well on to being the worst case example of the instruction that God is trying to get across to us in this example. And yes, I eventually did do some of the right things. But barely so. Barely. I thought, if I were to have to measure my Christian response on a scale of 1 to 10, I would be very generous to myself if I gave myself more than a 2 or a 3. And even then, by the way, only because the Holy Spirit was able to somehow get control of my mouth and my thoughts and intervene in the circumstance. So what happens? What happens during those circumstances when we don't respond as we should? One of the answers is simply that we're caught off guard. We're caught off guard. I was caught off guard. And folks, we should never be caught off guard. Now you might think, well, Bill, you're supposed to do this. You're the leader. And that's true. But that doesn't get any of you off the hook because you each have something that you're thinking about that man and his children and that circumstance. And there's probably something each of us ought to be doing in those circumstances. And let me say to you, that circumstance may not come up again for another year or two, but it may come up today. Are we prepared? Are we being trained up in the ways of righteousness that this Scripture is calling us to do? Because God is the great orchestrator of all these circumstances. That man coming into this church was no happenstance. God brought him here. I didn't run into that gentleman on the Natchez Trace and talk with him for a while by happenstance. God is orchestrating those things and He's saying that I want you to be prepared. I want you to be prepared for the next time. So then looking back on what took place a few weeks back with that man and his children, his family. I really do not want to be caught off guard again. I want to be prepared. I want to know what I ought to think and say. And I especially, listen, I especially don't want to turn around look and see this strange face and immediately judge him based on how he looks or what some other form of assessment I might make. Thinking less of him than I think of myself or you. Now, this presentation that God gave us here in James chapter 2 gives us a picture of that whole contrast. How we do so often quickly judge a poor and needy person and treat them in a condescending way while on the other hand we freely welcome someone that looks to be of of reasonable character and, and financial condition and we welcome them into our church. 
in the example here in James, that's a regular church setting just like this one. Everything should be in place to do exactly the right thing. It's not as if we're sitting at home and suddenly there's a knock on the door unexpectedly and here's some homeless person saying, can you give me something to eat? Or they approach you at a stop sign in your car. Or you're there putting gas in your car at the filling station and they walk over to you and they say, I need some gas for my car sitting here. And you look over and it's, it's this man and his younger son What are you going to do? Here in the church, we have everything that we need to remind us of what we ought to do if someone comes in here or if we run into them out there on the street. But let's take the setting again that we had because that was real. Would it not be right for us to prepare ourselves for the next time that someone might come in unexpectedly should more than one of us go to him and welcome him not check to see what he needs but to go and welcome him and in the process you are going to find out what he needs but what should we be doing should we not go and welcome him in at least the same manner that we would some very upstanding person in the community that you all know that just decides to come here one Sunday. Should some of you get up and quickly maybe offer him some coffee and cookies in the kitchen? Should we not have perhaps some emergency money available if they happen to need it? Consider this. If this man and his family needed a place to sleep tonight, do we dare consider taking them into our home for the night? Or can we think of many reasons why we would not? We don't know if they'll hit us in the head and steal everything that we got while we're sleeping. Those thoughts come to your mind? Or I only have two bedrooms. A lot of reasons why we won't do that. But should we? Or at least should we not be prepared to know if there's a place that they could go for the night. Maybe there's a ministry locally or somewhere close that we might be able to refer them to. Shouldn't we know about those places so that we can be ready when that needy person comes in? Perhaps we should know of a at least of a motel close by that we can go and put them up for a night. That way they can at least get a bath and we can give them some money for some food, for some gasoline. One other thought. Have there been needs within this membership over these years that we've not been willing to step forward and address and meet? We're a small congregation without a lot of money, but we do have some. Should we not be always looking to see if we can help one of our own? Now, I'm not personally aware of someone who is in that need right at this moment. But we should not be caught off guard. I should not be caught off guard. You shouldn't. We should know each other well enough to know. So then, there's several things that God is teaching us in this passage. 
some of it's that which we've been saying. We ought to be prepared, not caught off guard. We ought to be ready with some answers to legitimately help someone. But above everything, and that's what God is pointing out here, you and I should not judge that person. God calls it sinful. God calls it sinful. Listen, if a person is poor, if they're needy, they have reasons for being that way. And yes, sometimes, and it might be often, those reasons come from wrong choices on their part. But did you notice here in these Scriptures that we've read and all through the Scriptures, God doesn't speak a lot about that. He says, when you visit the least of these, in prison, when I needed food and you gave it to me. I was sick and you visited with me. That which you do for the least of those, you do for me. And that which you don't do for the least of these, you don't do for me. God does not want us to judge another person at all in that sense. He wants us to meet whatever the need that we can meet. And He says to us that we are to obey the royal law. What is the royal law? The royal law is love your neighbor as yourself. And so then, the next time that God orchestrates another opportunity for you and me, whether it be in this church or whether it be after you leave the church today or you're out in the community with people you know or people you don't know, He's going to do that. You need to be ready. And you need to be able to respond because when we breathe our last on this earth, He's going to say one of a couple of things to us. And the one that we want Him to say is, Well done, my good and faithful servant. Listen to this. This is from 1 John chapter 3. Listen to these words. This is what He's talking about. He says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue only, but with actions and in truth. Let's pray.